Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our blessed hope, amen? Stand with me this morning. So good to see you. You uh, are the frozen chosen who's been thought out. I was telling the uh, early service this morning, one day I got up about 5 o'clock to take Carrie to work, and the temperature on my car said 14 below zero. And I said, take a picture of that. I've never seen 14 below zero in Oklahoma before in my life, and uh, I don't want to ever see it again. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're watching with us and with us in the service today. I believe God has something extra special for us. How many of you believe that? How many of you going to help me preach today? Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you love each and every one of us. Speak to our hearts. Anoint my lips. Let us be receptive of what the Holy Spirit's going to say to us today. We give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. We're on a series called Love Is. Say that with me. Love Is. Love's pretty important, isn't it? If you've been with us on the series, Matt started out the last two Sundays, and the first Sunday, he played a song by Foreigner, I Want to Know What Love Is. Well, I believe the secular world's still trying to figure out what love is, and a lot of things that they think love is is just nothing but uh, evil lust, but anyway, that's just my opinion, and I value my opinion. I uh, brought with me a little collection about kids' answers about love and kissing and romance, and here we go. Dave, age eight, said, love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. (laughs) This is Nikki, age six. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with the friend you hate. That's pretty good theology, really. Cindy, age eight, During my piano recital, I was on stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. Then I wasn't scared anymore. Chris, age seven, love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still thinks he is as handsome as Robert Redford. (laughs) Karen, age seven, when you love someone, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of your eyes. Mark, age six, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. That's true love, I might add. Uh, this is uh, Jessica, age eight. You, should, you, you, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. Howard, age eight, the rule goes like this. If you kiss a girl, then you should marry her and have kids with her. It's the right thing to do. And this is Carl, age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne, and they go out and they smell each other. And these are my two favorite. Uh, How do you make a person fall in love with you? Uh, Dale, age six, says, tell them that you own a whole lot of candy stores. And this is my ultimate favorite from Camille, age nine. How do you make a person fall in love with you? You shake your hips and hope for the best. (laughs) Well, that's interesting, isn't it? If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. 
And this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. Now, we know Paul was very active in establishing the church at Ephesus. He was there for a long time, and we know in Acts chapter 20, he addresses the Ephesian elders and trying to encourage them to continue on. And it's interesting that uh, as, as Paul addresses those Ephesian elders, later on in your Bible, when the Lord Jesus addresses the seven churches, the first church he addresses is the church at Ephesus. And do you remember what he addressed them about? He said, you have left your first love. How many of you know love's important? And here he is praying as he writes to the church at Ephesus, and this is part of the prayer, verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he's addressing this love issue. If you're a sports fan, you know the name of Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo was a running back from Wake Forest in 1964. He set the NCAA football record that year for not only scoring, but the most yards rushing. And no one picked him up for the NFL draft. And so later on, he tried out to the Chicago Bears, and they picked him up, didn't draft him, but they just picked him up. And he was the backup running back for Gail Sears, who came from Kansas, who was a legendary running back. Uh, Gail Sears set many records. He was the youngest player ever drafted into the NFL, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and still holds that record, the youngest person ever drafted into the, and inducted into the Hall of Fame. So he, he backed up Gail Sears. Later on, he became the fullback who blocked for Gail Sears. In 1971, they made a movie about these two. It was called Brian's Song. And if you've never seen that, you need to go home and you need to watch it. James Caan plays Brian Piccolo. Billy Dee Williams plays Gail Sears. Well, Gail Sears obviously was the star, if you would look at that, in the football team and on the football team. But something unusual about that team is uh, they decided they were going to have quarterbacks Room with quarterbacks, tight ends room with tight ends, wide receivers, the offensive line room together, and the running backs room together. But, but here is the thing. Brian Piccolo's white, Gail Sears is black. And never before did two running backs room together that were dif different in, in their looks and, and their ethnicity as white and black. But let me tell you what happened between those two. They loved each other. And Brian Piccolo was diagnosed with cancer. He was dying. And this is what Gail Sears said when he went to accept the George Hallis Award for being the most creative, uh, courageous football player in the NFL. In that acceptance speech, he said, uh, I love Brian Piccolo, and I want you to love him too. When you pray tonight, you ask God to love you. Wow, pretty moving. I was a freshman in college, and that movie came out that year. I was in the dorm as a freshman, and we had a little black and white TV. It was about this big, and I'm not exaggerating. 
uh, about this big and we set it up and a lot of the, the guys didn't have televisions in their room so they came to our room and we watched Brian's song because it was very widely touted. Some people say it was the most uh, wonderful, most uh, creative, moving uh, picture ever made for television. And so we have about five, six, seven guys in my dorm room. We're watching Brian's song. And when it's over, everybody quickly left. And I want to tell you, because we didn't want to see each other crying when you're 18 or 19 years old. You know, we're men. You know, you don't cry. But let me tell you that love story between Brian Piccolo and Gail Sears in a few weeks after Gail Sears made that speech. He said, I love Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo died was a very, very young man. But you know what? Love is something that is so unique and so powerful. It's something that we've all experienced, and we have our great stories about love, and we have also our brokenhearted stories about love, and everybody does. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is uh, going through the region of Galilee and Judea. He's preaching the kingdom of God, and there's one man who's very skilled in the law, and he asks Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? You find it, verses 35 through 39 of Matthew's gospel. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these, these two commandments. So l- listen to what Jesus is saying. He says everything about the commandments, everything about the principles of God hang on love. You know, you love God with your heart, your soul, your mind. You love your neighbors, yourself. This is all about love. When Jesus went to the cross, how many of you know he's fulfilling his Father's will, but it's all about love. He didn't go just for the, the fact of, of going to do what he's supposed to do. He went there because he loves you and he loves me. And because of that great sacrifice, he showed his love. If we would also look at John 13... There is this scene in the upper room. Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and they're going to do what we did, but it was the Passover, what we might call the First Communion. And there they are in that upper room, and they're going to take the Passover. And when they entered in, this was the normal uh, modus operandi, if you will. Uh, You're supposed to have someone wash your feet when you walk into the room or the house. And nobody was washing feet. There was no servant. No, no one volunteered to wash feet. So Jesus, he girds a towel and gets a basin of water, and he began to wash all the disciples' feet. Now, let me tell you, it kind of created an uproar in that room because some, you know, didn't want Jesus to wash their feet. Peter just denied. He said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, he said, uh, Peter, if I don't wash you, you can have no part of me. And then Peter says, just give me a bath then. Well, that's my interpretation. You know, wash my head, just wash everything. So, so Jesus is washing feet, and I want to pick up what Jesus said. He said, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you should wash one another's feet. So what he's saying is, this is the servant type of leadership. This is the servant type of love. This thing is predicated on us loving each other. There's no big eyes, no little yous. We're all together in the kingdom of God, right? You and I, we're, we're equal. We're a part of that. Male, female, black, white, bond, free. We could go on and on. The scripture says it, but we have to say this thing is held together by the bonds of love. 
And so th- this love thing is pretty, pretty important. Now, one thing you might notice here, Jesus did not ask them to wash his feet. He said, you should wash one another's feet. In John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, you will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. One translation says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. Not that you go to church, and that's important. Not if you have the right doctrine, that's important. Not that you have the right dress, that may be important. But he says, the thing that will determine and show you're my disciple is that you have what? Love one toward another. You know, love's mentioned over 300 times in your Bible. I mean, it's mentioned over and over and over again, pretty important. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul said faith works by love. And then in that same chapter, when he's listing the fruit of the Spirit, you know what fruit he lists first from the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace. He talks about love first. So he, he's addressing this, this issue of love. And then as we've talked about the last two weeks, 1 Corinthians 13, it's called what? The love chapter. Say that with me. The love chapter chapter. So if you want to really know how to love, then you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he ends that chapter with these words. Now there abides uh, these three, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Now earlier in the chapter, as we heard Matt preach two weeks ago, Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily anchored, uh, angered, it, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails or love never ends. Listen, that is the description he gives us by the Holy Spirit of love. Now, there's two things I want you to catch. In this chapter 13, Paul mentions a mirror, M-I-R-R-O-R, mirror. Say that with me, a mirror. In the second letter he wrote to the Corinthians, he also mentions a mirror. And what he does, he says that we, like looking in a mirror, behold the glory of the Lord, and by faith and faith, by movement by acceptance, by obedience, we're transformed by looking at that glorious image of God. Now, here's the thing that I want you to think of this morning. If this is the true standard of love, then when I look at myself in the mirror, what do I see? Now, I know what it says, but what do I see? Do I see patience, kindness, no envy, no boasting, I'm not proud, I'm honoring others before me, I'm not self-centered, I don't anger easily, I don't keep grudges, records of wrongdoings, um, I don't like evil, I love the truth, I protect, I trust, I hope, I persevere, I will love and continue to love and love will not end with me. Is that the picture I see in the mirror? How many of you, it's a good question, how many of you looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church? Everybody did. And we're thankful. We're very thankful that you looked in the mirror before you came today. And you should be thankful that I looked in the mirror before I came today. 
Because when I got up and looked in the mirror this morning, my hair was disheveled. I had a little stuff, you know, caked to the side of my mouth. Y'all are so holy. Uh, If I could breathe on my image, it would have fainted over the sink. So I looked in the mirror, and then I began to say, there's some things that I see I need to change. I need to shower, I need a little bit of deodorant, I need to comb my hair, brush my teeth, I need to uh, shave some of this gray stubble off my face. How many of you with me? So I look in the mirror, and I say, there's some things here I need to change. So with, with, with that thought in mind, this is what Paul is saying. You look in the mirror, here are the attributes, the characteristics of love. How do you measure up to what you see in the mirror? Well, what do you need to change? What do you need to add? What do you need to get rid of? You're looking in the mirror. So if that's the image, if that's the character, if that's the attributes of love, do you have that? What, what do you look like in light of what the Word of God says? And I'll guarantee you all of us fall short in many of those, and it's not a mandate that you are condemned to be short it is a urging to get better you with me so so I look at that and say okay this is the standard of love this is the quality of love this is the characteristic of love so let me see how I measure up and I look in that mirror so what do I need to do to be that kind of person and it, it is important right it's very important what do I see how am I measuring up to that So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 here. Let me give you a portion of verse 17 that we read earlier. This is what Paul said, rooted and grounded in love. Say that with me. Rooted and grounded in love. Now let's all say, come on, let's participate. Rooted and grounded in love. Now what does that mean? He said, I'm praying that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Well, to be rooted speaks of bringing forth fruit. Nothing that's um, unrooted is ever going to bring forth fruit. I mean, you have to have good roots to bring forth fruit. Would you agree with that? And and being grounded speaks of our foundation. I mean, it's the gravity of where you're at. You're you're strong and and, and your, your foundation because whatever you build in your life, you have to have what a good, solid foundation. And so my foundation must be what? based in love and my roots must be based in love rooted and grounded in love and if anything comes off of that that's not rooted and grounded in love then it's suspect i'll tell you why because then we ask the question what are my motives what are my motives am i doing this for the wrong reason how many of you know you can do the right thing for the wrong reason i can preach for the wrong reason i can give for the wrong reason I can get married for the wrong reason. Hello, Ethel, he's preaching now. So if you're rooted and grounded in love, which means the fruit of what you produce comes from the root of love, and what you build in your life comes from the foundation and the grounding of love, and then God can bless it because it's based in love. Well, what does that look like? What's the driving force behind what I do? What does active love look like in my life? Or what does it look like here at Ray of Hope? Can I give you some examples? Active love is teaching a class, helping with the nursery, helping with kids and youth, 
driving the van, serving food on Wednesday evenings, funerals, conferences, bringing coffee and donuts to somebody. Hallelujah. That's active love. Extending generosity, grace, mercy, visiting the sick, delivering food. Active love disciples and confronts with accountability, encourages. Active love prays at the altar, intercedes. Active love sings and plays and preaches. Active love is giving my time and my treasure. That's active love. It's not enough to talk about love. You have to have what? Active love. Because this is what I say to Carrie, and I know none of these guys here will relate to anything I say. But sometimes I do this with Carrie. I say, well, honey, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to start doing that. And three months later, she says, Mike, yeah, you've already told me all those things. Some of the ladies are listening. It's easy to say I love you. It's harder to have active love. So I can't just give verbalization to love. I have to have active love. So what does that look like in your life? What does it look like in my life? What does it look like serving in the kingdom of God? Because, you know, we have, we, we have this deal in America. Our, our love words are very uh, loose and broad. You know, I, I love my wife. I love hot dogs. I love my dog, I love my cat, I love my kids, I love baseball, all same word, but I'm, you know, different levels. The Greeks had different words for that, but in our language, our vocabulary is a little bit different for us, but I want to tell you something, that we need to understand the basis of active love, and once I understand that, the root and the foundation of love, if it's right, then God can bless it. But if it's not right, it's hard for God to bless it because it's not based on or growing out of love. You see, if, if I do it for the wrong reasons, if it's birthed out of strife or pride or anger or financial gain, God can't hardly bless it. See, a lot of churches are birthed out of, I don't like them, I'm going to go do my own thing. Come on, preach with me this morning. You know I'm telling you the truth. Or if I, and I'm just using myself personally, if I say, you know, I want a good career, I want to make some money, I'm going to go into the ministry. My root and my grounding is all based on the wrong thing. But if I say I love the call of God on my life, I love the people of God in my life, if I love the gospel of God in my life, then the root and the foundation of what I'm doing now is right. But if it's any other thing, that's wrong. And God can't bless it. You say, well, listen, Pastor, a lot of people have crowds. Honey, listen, there's a difference between a crowd and a congregation. Crowds will eventually go. Congregations will stay because the root and the grounding is based on the right thing. It's based on love. So hopefully you're here today because you love God, you love the gospel of God, you love God's people, you love the call of God in your life, and so God says, I can bless that because it's rooted and grounded in love. And so that's what God is saying to us today. It must be rooted and grounded in love. Now, I'm going to shift gears here. In this kingdom that we call the kingdom of God, we love people and we love principles. We love people, we love principles. 
You say, well, which do we love most? Well, we've got to love them both the same. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if we don't love them both the same, we're in trouble. So what's more important? Is it people or principles? Well, a lot of people say it's going to be people. A lot of people are going to say it's principles. In John chapter 8, there is this vivid account of these religious leaders finding a woman who's committing adultery. The Bible says they caught her in the very act. And they take her from that act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus and throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they're trying to trap Jesus. They could care less about the woman and God forbid what happened to the man, right? I mean, you know, if one's guilty, the other one's guilty too. So they throw her at the feet of Jesus. They're trying to trick him and trap him. And they say, what does the law say we should do with this woman? Well, we know what the law says. She should be stoned, right? But Jesus approaches it a little bit different. He doesn't say anything. The Bible says he stoops down and he begins to write on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote because the Bible doesn't tell us. There's a lot of surmising of what he wrote. Some people think they know what he wrote, but they don't know what he wrote. Uh, did he write the commandments of God? Did he write the law of God? Or did he write certain sins that he knew some of the people in that crowd were committing? How many know God's got your number? And he's got my number. And, and so, as he writes on the ground, I think you could hear rocks falling. Boom, boom, boom. And he looks at the crowd and he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible says the crowd dispersed. And he looks at the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around and she says, there are none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now, I want you to look at this. Jesus first addressed the person. Let's look at it. He has compassion. He rescues her from death, gives her a second chance. Where are your accusers? I do not condemn you. He deals with the person. But then he deals with the principles. I'm giving you mercy. I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you compassion. But go and sin no more. There are principles in this kingdom I'm addressing the person, and now I'm addressing the principles. God did the same thing to King David. David was a man after God's own heart. How many of you know God loved David? David, in some ways, is a type of Christ. He's a king. He's a prophet. He's a poet. He's a, a, a great man of God. But how many of you know he has done some dumb stuff? And God addressed that. Addressed that. He, he brought him into accountability. He dealt with the person, but he also dealt with what? The principles. And so we have to do the same. We have to deal with the principles, and, and we have to deal with the person. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Do you see it? We love God. We love God's people. We love the, the, the people in the world. For God so loved the world. God loves people. But he also has principles. This is how we know we love God. We love the person and we love the principles. 
We love the person and we love the principles. And if you get those out of kilter, they will not work. Both are very, very important. If we value the principles above the person, we tend to be legalistic and not loving. If you've ever been in a legalistic church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You walk in and you don't meet the criteria, the principle, and you may get preached at. Matter of fact, the preacher may, he may change his sermon just to preach at you. Because he's addressing what? The principles. You're not acting right, you're not dressed right, or, or whatever the case may be. Man, it feels lonely up here right now, but, uh, but I am telling you the truth. So, so we're, we're, we're more on the principle than we are the person. And that can be very unloving and very legalistic. But valuing the person without applying the principle is really not loving either. You see, there has to be a marriage of the two because the marriage of the two, the blending of the two, is really true love. Carrie and I raised boys. Um, God felt like he could not trust a daughter with me. And that's probably true. So the boys growing up, they were good boys. They're still good boys. And I, I was brought up maybe different from some of you. Uh, Dad didn't count to three or didn't give you time out. And so I raised my boys the same way. And when they were mischievous or did something wrong or rebellious, I took them to the bedroom, I laid them over our bed, and uh, I gave them information from the bottom up. Now, you may not agree with that, that's fine, but they're not yours. And we had a picture there on the west wall of our bedroom by R.C. Gorman. And I don't know if you know who R.C. Gorman is. He is a, a, a painter and a sculptor, and he did a lot of uh, southwestern paintings and, and uh, very, very good. His, his paintings sell for lots of money. And what we had hanging up was not an original. It was just an old copy of a print that was framed. And, and when I would administ uh, <laughs> add, you know, administer and add, uh, uh, add a little wisdom to them, admonish them from the back end, I'd take my belt off and I'd lean them over the bed and th they'd always be looking around like, you know, what's coming. And I'd say, look at that picture. And I'd, I'd take my belt off and I'd spank them. And uh, they hated that picture. <laughs> and they hate that picture today. <laughs> and that picture's no longer hanging in our bedroom. It's in the utility room by the washer and the dryer now. It, it has been demoted. But here's the point. If you love your kids, you're going to correct them. If you love your kids, you're going to discipline them. And if you don't, you may not. There's the marriage between the person and the principal, right? And you've got to put it together. Because true love disciples, true love discipline, true love brings us into the reality that this has to be the way it is. And that's what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my 
disciples. And even the Bible deals with this later in the book of Hebrews. He says that if God is your father, he disciplines his kids. So what's he doing? He says, listen, I love you as a person, but I'm going to apply my principle to you. And I don't know about you, but any time I had to go to the principal PAL's office, do you know the last time I was ever in the principal's office? You want to know? Well, you're probably in the fourth grade, fifth grade, six. No, it was the week before I graduated. <laughs> True story. Did something wrong at school. Had to go to the principal's office with a couple of others. Lean over the chair. They take this big paddle about this long. And then they did something very unique. They said, take your billfold out of your back pocket. And then they gave you this corny line, I don't want to hit your girlfriend in the face. And at that time, it wasn't funny at all. And then they warmed you up with about three licks. licks. What am I saying? I'm saying that if we don't marry both the person and the principal, we're not doing anybody any favors. Now, do we love people? Yes, we do. Do we want everybody to walk through these doors? Absolutely. Why? Because we love the person. And we want to see them come to know Jesus Christ. But once they get here, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit will do to those people. The Holy Spirit will teach them about the principles of this kingdom. God will love the person, but he may certainly not like and even detest what they're doing. This is what's happened in our culture in the United States. Some churches have said, I'm just going to accept the person and I'm going to throw the principles out the door. And our churches will grow, and the exact opposite happened. The exact opposite happened. They thought what we're going to do is we're going to open the door. We don't care what your lifestyle is or what you do, and we're not going to contest it. We're not going to talk about those scriptures. We're not even going to teach the principles. We're just going to love you as a person. And we should love people as a person. But if we really love them, we're going to talk about the principles of God too. Right? We're going to marry both of those together because one without the other does not work. It does not work. So therefore, we come together and we realize Jesus accepts us just the way we are. But he doesn't want to leave us just the way that we are. Amen? He says, I love you so much I want to make you into what you can become. But you can't become what you can become without applying my principles to your person. But true love, true love is the marriage of both the person and the principle. True love is looking at my boys and saying, I love you with all my heart. I'd give my life for you. But listen, some things are right, some things are wrong. And I need to teach you those things because I want you to grow up being good, strong young men, good citizens with purpose and values that can continue on in your life. And that's what God wants for you. Now let me just end with this. (laughs) We've all messed up. Not anybody's perfect here, but God loves us, and he loves us so much, he cares for every one of us. And listen, I'd be the first one, and you've heard me preach thousands of sermons, and let me tell you, I'm not too much into uh, hiding things from you. I'm pretty transparent. Uh, 
I've messed up a lot in my life, but God still loves me. and He loves you. He loves each one of us. But yet he's trying to move us forward to become all that we can be. And he loves you so much. He doesn't want to leave you the way that you are. And he doesn't want to leave me the way that I am. He wants me to, to continue to grow and, and to gain and develop my character, become a better father, maybe you a mother or a grandparent. I mean, I'm trying to get this grandparent thing down, and, and I'm doing pretty good, I think. Because my grandkids say, I want to go to Pop and Cece's house because... They let me get by with everything. (laughs) But there are a few times where I have to apply some principles. And it shocks them. (laughs) Riley had my iPad not long ago, and she's punching everything. And she says, Papa, I want to see your, whatever she calls it, your computer or whatever, so, I mean, we, we, we look at baby sharks, ad nauseum. Wheels on the bus is from the devil. But then she keeps punching and it goes to other places. And I said, Riley, if you don't leave it where we have it, you can't have it. And she keeps punching and I swat her little hand and goodness gracious. It's so horrible. But I love her enough to apply some principle. That's godly love. Godly love is not what you see in an R-rated movie. Godly love is not what you get from your stars, young people, on the internet, TikTok, Music, radio, and television that's been married five times. If that's your idea of love, you need to recalibrate today. But Paul said, step up to the mirror. Love is kind. Love is pure. Love is gentle. Love is not easily angered. uh, angered. Love does not rejoice in the wrong, it rejoices in the right. Love rejoices in truth. And he gives all these things about what true love is. And then I look at that mirror and I say, okay, Mike, how do you measure up to that love? And I think we all have to look in that mirror. I know I do, and I think you do too. Amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.